0: Hardcore
1: surf history. Surfing has always prided itself on being cool, beautiful and adventurous. So why has it only been recently that the global surf culture has began to notice that in these areas, Brazil is in a class of its own? No other place on earth does sport, art, and culture dance together so spectacularly. For much of the English-speaking world, however, the history of surfing in Brazil is a mystery. It's true the current titans Gabi, Italo, and Felipe dominate the sports consciousness, and the pool of talents in South America's greatest country... Is so deep and scary. But what led to this point? What is Brazil's story? How has it shaped surfing? And how will it shape surfing's future? In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer
0: in Brooklyn. This is Hardcore Surf History, where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we dive into the colorful and rich, but often overlooked history of Brazilian surfing. From its roots as a leisure activity for the elites, to its pathway out of the favelas for many of its celebrated surfers, to its current world domination on the competitive scene known as the Brazilian Storm, we explore the deep and vast culture of surfing in Brazil, and Jamie and I do a little capoeira style sparring with another round of Stump My Bro. All right. Is that a caipirinha you're drinking, by the way? Is that some cachaça? <laughs> do you drink that? Do you make a caipoeira for this, uh, this conversation?
1: You made a caipirinha?
0: Caipirinha cheese. Oh, that's embarrassing. Can we start that one over?
1: No, 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 no. no. It's got a um, sounds like you've been drinking cup of whiskey. It's
0: it's early. It's eight 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 thirty in the morning here. I've, I'm just on my second cup of coffee. Yeah, for you,
1: I don't want people to think that I'm up at the crack of dawn with um a, a bottle of booze. No, <laughs> it, it is early for me. Um, I normally wouldn't but it have is a drink. Holiday.
0: It is a holiday, right?
1: Well, you say that, but I'm um. Yeah, I am. I'm off from school this week, but I'm also I'm I'm very busy writing reports. I, I spent the whole morning, uh, doing schoolwork, and uh, yeah, ideally maybe we need would a, drink a little bit. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, drink after reading doing those reports.
1: <laughs> I mean, this the, I think the thing is it, in my way of thinking is that Brazil and Brazilian cultures is, is so. Uh, it's so all engrossing. It's poetic. You really feel it, and and having a caipirinha just really gets you in the mood. You know,
0: <laughs> something about that lime, sugar, and cachaca.
1: <laughs> well, I, the thing is, like, so the the first time I ever had a caipirinha was it, back in two thousand and three when I went to Brazil, mm-hmm. and and I got to talk. I mean, tell you about yeah. that. like, like you know, I'd been living. In, in Ecuador for about a year and a half leading up to that. And and you and I traveled all up and down the West Coast yeah. for a few months. Um I think a couple America. of years before that. Yeah. In of the west coast of South America. And I mean so all of the countries in South America are, are, are so beautiful and it's so cool. The culture's rich. The waves everywhere you look are amazing. Um and, and I loved it everywhere and I loved Ecuador. And it was it was such a cool place and but at the end of my time there we we decided to go over to Brazil for a few weeks to check it out before we moved back home and i think the first night i was there i was just like oh my god like why did we come here sooner like <laughs> this place is amazing <laughs> just you know it was obviously you know we were in Rio de Janeiro so it it kind of hits you over the head pretty hard and um i know you know, I hope people listening will listen to your interview with Adrian Cogen after this or before this, Mm. Um, because he, you know, he said it to you. He said, you know, this, he said, I've been to all the cities over the world, but Rio is the best. And Rio is amazing. And um, I I just remember, you know, sitting, sitting in the taxi on the way home from dancing one night, and just the music that the, they were listening to, it was music I'd never heard before. And it was just so cool. Anyway, <laughs> fast forward like about a week or so into being there, I went out with some people that I'd met there and had a caipirinha. And it, I'd never felt this type of intoxication from alcohol before. It was a different type of feeling. And um, so, yeah, drinking a caipirinha gets you into the uh, Brazilian mood.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. Uh, so for our listeners, I, I had the opportunity to interview Adrian Cogen. And so for many of you who may not be familiar with him, he was the um, head editor at uh, Fluid magazine in Brazil, which Flu- is like, Fluir, right? Fluir yeah. but I think he pronunciates it like fluid almost because I, I kept saying in the interview, Fluir, and he was like fluid. And I was like, oh, Okay, so I'm screwing okay. up the pronunciation. I think is,
1: is that what it means?
0: I this is embarrassing. I don't know. <laughs> 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 Look it up, man. Oh, this I'll go see yeah. that's, I love so, that by you talking. I guess that's yeah. But uh, so I had the opportunity to to interview Adrian, who was the editor there for like 20 years, basically, and has written uh, many articles uh, in like Surfers Journal. Uh, Surfers Journal Brazil also and he's just like a like a fucking cool guy. But he did how we got introduced to him originally. You and I was um, he wrote an article in Surfer Magazine around 1988. I want to say 89 roughly, and yep. it was uh, I think called Road Warrior, and basically Adrian drove a. Dirt bike, not just a a, a motorbike, but like a a, like a like a Kawasaki or something dirt bike from Southern California all the way down to Chile and then into Brazil. And he did this alone (laughs) with surfboard strapped backpack. And that's it. And this was during a time when it was quite tumultuous to travel through Central and South America. And there was a lot had not been fully explored. You know, there was Costa Rica, which was fine. But, you know, everything else was kind of a bit of a no man's land. And he documented a lot of it uh, and wrote a book about it eventually, um, which hasn't been translated into English until it uh, should be coming out re- you know, real soon. But it's a freaking amazing adventure. And there's like this just photo of him. And it's from in Chile, actually, of him on this dirt bike with the board slung on the back and his backpack. And it's so badass. And that that story really, I think, I don't know about it for you, but for me, it definitely inspired adventure and wanting to explore the world. And I mean, obviously, like Endless Summer and other things have you know pushed that along. But this story was so cool. And the article, what was so cool about it. Was the photos he he took, they were all empty. He didn't have anyone to take photos of him. And there was no surfers around really to take photos of. So everything was just these gorgeous, empty lineups of faraway places. And just so cool. But getting back to like Brazil. With
1: with that article, yeah, let's talk about it for a bit.
0: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. No, and the picture of him made the, uh, with the motorcycle and the beard and and um and the board on the back he that they made that into a pro you know board yeah. bag ad yeah <laughs> um, but if you look closely on the board bag the pro logo he'd uh, drawn it in it wasn't the official logo <laughs> it was like painted on so there must have been like an afterthought and then um and and then i it, I mean, well, to, to be fair, it was surfed and it was documented a lot of those places. with um, uh, some Bissell, not the surfboard shaper, but the photographer, Bissell. Yeah. I don't know his first name is if it's Tim Bissell or he in the um, I think late 70s, early 80s, he lived down there and he documented a lot of um, Panama. Yeah. And um, that was in, in Surfer Magazine quite a lot. Then, um, oh, what's his name? Rothman? I, ah, I forgot what his Bobby name
0: Rothman. is. Rob- Bobby Rothman. Bobby Rothman. I think Guy Wright, yeah. right, who, who, who lived, lived in, El- in El Salvador, La lived in yeah. El
1: Salvador, documented a lot, and, um, the, the, and so, yeah,
0: there's a history of just say like his yeah. and, his article the though other, was amazing though.
1: The, well, what what I loved about the article because because Matt sent me a copy recently because mm-hmm. um, I lost that magazine. Well, I, I take <laughs> I had wallpapered my uh, bedroom with old pictures from that oh, magazine. Years let ago. me know,
0: I have a copy here. Well, do you? But yeah me, there my,
1: there there are lots of bits cut out. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt sent me sent me a, um screenshot or pictures of that article. Yeah. And what looking at it, what what I think got because it had the same effect on me. It made me want to travel. But one of the reasons it made me want to travel, and this might speak to the kind of maybe the, the Brazilian attitude towards surfing. I don't know. Was that it didn't make it seem like this scary adventure. I know when you talked to him and he pointed out how there was, there were a lot of problems down there and it was dangerous in the article. It doesn't come off that the article comes off this really fun kind of neat, you know, fun adventure, you know, kind of like not, not a crazy adventure. And it, it made it seem really accessible to me. It made me think, Oh yes, that's, I'd like to go down there and, check out all these interesting places that lots of people haven't gone, but it didn't seem dangerous from his article. He really downplayed that. (laughs) Um, And I think that's, he was more into just the the fun and the enjoyment of the journey rather than it being like, like he said, like you were talking to him, it wasn't about him. It was just like, wow, cool. Check this out. You know, you can go off and explore and find these cool places.
0: So, yeah. So that, that I had the opportunity to interview him and learn about Brazilian surf history. By the way, <laughs> that's kind of what the interview was mostly focused on. Uh, was you know, just there's so much I feel like we don't know about Brazilian surf history. Like, and and he points out in the interview, like there's there's a language barrier. That's a huge stumbling block for Ameri- for a lot of Western English speaking uh, co- uh, countries. Yeah. Uh, Tongue tied. Um, you know, so we don't get to see, hear about it. And and I think also because the West had been so dominant, but also there was also politically, uh, in Brazil, a dictatorship that ran for a long, long period of time, which kind of isolated and incubated the culture there and kept it kind of under wraps or didn't really get it the exposure that it, it would have had had it been uh, a more free and open uh, democracy during the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, even. Um, so I, I, I feel like there's a bit of the, the socio political element, too, that kept it more, like I said, incubated is a really good term, I think, for Brazilian surf culture. Uh, there was a lot of incubation happening there.
1: Although it was interesting, I was listening to a documentary. Uh podcasts on football in Brazil mm. and i i forget it i think it's you know late 60s early 70s where um Brazilian football teams could travel the world. They were known as the best and the most interesting and the most exciting. And they could mm. travel the world, even if they were like a lower tier team. Right. And do demonstrations and play in different parts of the world. And people wanted to see it. They were really infatuated with Brazilian football. Yeah. Um, and and Brazilian culture, like in the in the late 60s, you know. Uh, Musical. Caetano yeah. Veloso and Gilberto Gil. Uh, those guys you know like really exploded with creativity and their music was all over the world it was it was really popular um and pele you know was was a Mm. god and all that um i guess
0: from a surfing perspective is incubated because you couldn't travel really unless you had a lot of money and that was a big thing that adrian even kind of points out is like you needed a lot of money to travel and and the country was not as as wealthy Uh, at that time too so or allow a lot of brazilians didn't have that wealth to travel potentially right yeah
1: well i guess that's i think the first couple of brazilians on the on the world stage pepe lopez and um daniel friedman i think they came from you know at least upper middle class families i think yeah you know and i think so that probably helped them to travel and they the two of them so oh I forgot we're jumping over a bit yeah, <laughs> raising so a bit. much, but um, to just and they both had um they were one of the first two surfers of uh, the pro surfers of the 70s to to get sponsorship outside of surfing like more uh, with not non endemic sponsorship mm-hmm. and so they had money they could travel the world, and both of them made them into the top thirty pro surfers in the um, in the late seventies um, but but we like, should – but it's interesting we yeah, sh- we shouldn't should talk start. about
0: like yes. there, like Adrian points out, there is a before Peter Troy and after Peter Troy in Brazilian surfing. I think you know <laughs> that's like a very important marker in Brazilian surf history. No, like yes,
1: well, yeah. Oh, I was say let's let's uh, let's not jump back to that. So okay. Let's stay on the topic. So the, I think the big thing which you started to talk about was. <clears throat> You know why? Why was Brazilian surfing kind of isolated from from the greater so English speaking surfing world? Yeah, and and you know especially like in the eighties when we were growing up and in, into the nineties, Brazilians had this reputation as being you know people spoke about them in really derogatory terms. You know said oh mm-hmm. Brazilians <laughs> Brazilians you know they're always it, they just talked about him in a really bad way. And and even yeah. in the surf magazines, I remember there'd so often be a photo of a surfer and it would say unknown Brazilian or some Brazilian mm-hmm. in the caption. <clears throat> and it was it was like they were really marginalized, um, within surfing culture.
0: Yeah. I mean Adrian talks about this like the, the, the culture of Brazil is to, to, to have fun and to go out in groups, um, you know, and be a little loud and, and, you know, and so I think that made its way into the lineup in a lot of, you know, particularly like conservative Californian surf culture and, and even like Australian to a certain extent, um, you know, it's about being quiet and just kind of paddling out and, and especially that, that kind of 70s carryover into 80s uh, California surf culture, you know, of localism and all that, you know, didn't like something that was more flamboyant and, and more gregarious and outgoing, which I think a lot of Brazilian surfers were when they were traveling. he would say like, you know, because they didn't have a lot of money, they would save up for so long to go on a surf trip and they were the only way they could do it even was to go in a group with friends, you know, and you'd all save up. So when you got to a place, you'd be so excited. You're just like, look, we're surfing all these ways and be all kind of pumped up. Like, so there was that element. And then a lot of Brazilian surfing is in, in the, um, you know, beach breaks where there's no defined lineup. There's no point break. There's no reef. So everything is kind of more fluid in the lineup. Uh, A bit more aggressive and and just the culture in general, a bit more aggressive in that lineup. And so you take those elements and then you travel and you take also a bit of uh, ethnocentrism from from like the U.S. and maybe Australia. And that that creates that kind of climate for, you know, kind of those derogatory, you know, statements and terms over the years, you know,
1: it's true, like the uh, um, surf culture back then, coming out of America and Australia. Well, it was all especially America, you know. It was be cool, you know. Like if you're gonna travel somewhere, travel by yourself or maybe with one other surfer. Mm-hmm. You know, stay quiet, you know. Like respect, 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 and yeah, and even just like, yeah. I think I think you know, like American culture was actually the well, surf culture is a lot quieter than all that. Whereas once, if you went to Brazil, they were having just a really good time. It was yeah. all about don't, don't be so uptight. It was like, yeah. come on, you know, like life is for enjoying and not worrying too much. And I because also maybe, I mean, maybe the fact that actually in Brazil, you had real things to worry about, you know, there was poverty, like extreme poverty right in your face. Um, whereas you know maybe and it kind of made you think hey you know it's time to live for today maybe a bit more
0: yeah it it's the perception definitely was was negative and and i would say that lasted right up until probably just when the brazilian storm really started to to take 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 on you know this notice and and really you know, to dominate the professional surfing world. Um, so there's definitely, you know, I think that that it was pretty recent, you know, and, and that those kind of attitudes. And I think it's only changed in the last few years as Gabriel, Idolo, uh, Felipe, you know, and, and, uh, you know, all of, and Adriano, like it's become, much more, you know, they their personalities have been more known. And I think people are starting to understand who they are as people and start to have a better perception of Brazilian surf culture in general. Um, Ooh, because we're starting to learn more about it, you know?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Tyler, pause for one sec. Yeah. Maybe.
0: So, um, yeah, I think... The perception has, what's, has what's, changed. What's, uh, what's
1: been your yeah? You know, what's like when you when you think of Brazilian surfing? You know, yeah. What 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 has or has has there been it's like an evolution in what totally, you felt about it?
0: Absolutely evolved. Like it's funny. Like I've had I've Brazilian surfing culture and Brazilian culture have almost been separate to me. Mm. I've I've viewed them almost separately, which is in the past, which I I think was probably very wrong um you know and due to a la- to a major ignorance to brazilian surf culture in general and and the fact that i did have not traveled to brazil so i don't have that firsthand experience but i love brazilian music i love like you know tim maya and and you know and, and some of the cinema like city of gods was like a real eye opener for me that movie um Going to Guanabara in London with you uh, and partying our brains out to good music and and also making lots of friends over the years, um, it's definitely changed over time quite a bit. Um, I used to think, especially before I traveled, like especially like in high school, I think my perception of a lot of Brazilian surfing was was uh, very competitive not the prettiest of styles. And I think that was unfortunately represented by Peterson Rosa, who is a phenomenal surfer, but just probably not the prettiest to watch, but really good competitive surfer. Um, and, and then reading all the magazines and and all the awful things that probably has been written over the years. Uh, and, and as I traveled and met more Brazilians and became friends with more, like that perception has changed over time quite a bit. To fuck Brazilians are the coolest people, especially when you be traveling. Like you're, they're having so much fun. Uh, you know, going out on a night in a town with you know when you're on a surf trip with a group of Brazilians is probably one of the best nights you'll ever have. You know, <laughs> it's way better than going out with a bunch of bunch of dudes from Florida or California. No offense, but oh my God, like the, they're just so, the enthusiasm and ex- that, that energy is contagious. So I, I feel like as I traveled and, and, and explored more of the world and got to meet more people, like it, it totally changed. But I still think there was... Especially towards the competitive Brazilian surfers, I think the attitude was definitely not as favorable. And I think that that's changed over time, but I've definitely had like more of a, a bias against it, being like, oh, small wave surfers and, you know, really competitive. Uh, and then over the last 10 or 12 years, that's evolved into being like, fuck, man, they're just so awesome to watch and so interesting actually
1: it's interesting they like you said those two things what your perception and, and other people's perceptions was of them being small wave surfers without attractive style because i know you talked about it with adrian how you you know fabio govea who you know won the world title uh, amateur title i think in 1988 yeah, yeah. he was an ex- exceptionally smooth stylish surfer um and, and even Flavio Paderatz, basically, he's sort like hockey, you know, like yeah. and those were two guys when we were kids, they were around. And then as far as big wave surfing goes, well, you pointed out that um, Fabio Govea won at Sunset yeah. and then Pepe Lopez was in the finals at, at Pipeline right. in the 70s. Carlos Burley. Carlos Burley was the, one of the first world, was he the first world surf, big wave surfing champion?
0: Well, he won the ISA uh, World Big Wave Championships at Toto Santos in 1998. Uh, right. the, the wave, the, the day that uh, Taylor Knox got that K2 big wave.
1: Right. And that's ages ago. Yeah. So it's funny how, like, you can have these perceptions, even though there's evidence to the contrary staring us right in the face that whole time.
0: Absolutely. And God, like, you know I mean it's it's definitely you' you you definitely I think I think that definitely the the monolith uh that was surf culture you know where you had surfer surfing magazine as the dominant voice of surfing in you know the 80s 90s early 2000s you know probably fed that to a certain extent mm-hmm. um you know uh, and Australian surf mags also which really, some of them really ragged on Brazilian surf culture, you know. Um, (laughs) So I think those things can can really cloud your judgment. It's amazing how you could be influenced um, by media in general. But that's another conversation. (laughs) Well, no, but that is
1: a very fascinating conversation to have because I know, like, people who didn't Californians who didn't live in Orange County would complain that (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Booth, you know, (laughs) let that, you know, complain that Christian Fletcher was so well covered in the surf media simply because he lived, you know, so close to Surfer Magazine front office. Um, Or when you read about, you know, just reading about Surfing World Magazine in Australia and um, Bruce Chan and Hugh McLeod you would, would take you know the surfers that they knew because they lived close by, take them on these you know road mm-hmm. trips with them. If you know if you know the people making it, you get to have your picture in the magazine, and then that picture you know influences the whole world. You know, in the way that John Witzig was good friends with Bob McTavish and Nat Young, so all of a sudden they have a, a mouthpiece for it all. Uh, and I guess if you're in Brazil, you're pretty far away from it. The language is different. Um it it does make it it makes it really hard. So, so you're right, it does make a difference.
0: It, it definitely does. And and what's one thing I want to point out, you know, maybe I'm jumping around here, but you know, also the contrast, like Brazil had its own media too, which I thought was again like it had its own thing. It it was publishing. They had lots of magazines, but because of that language barrier it couldn't influence beyond Brazil and, and any other Portuguese-speaking nation, basically. Whereas English language is all over the world, you know, for, for better or worse. Like, it's everywhere, and everyone can read English, and it's so dominant that it's, it's yeah, it's really hard to get any information out of Brazil to know That's about
1: true. it. That's true. And I know when you were talking to Adrian, you couldn't find, you had said, one, you couldn't find out much information about his books, that yeah. book that he wrote, because it was only in Brazilian. can Braz- ah, I can't believe oh. I said that. In Portuguese. <laughs> but then again, Brazilian. They should change the language and call it Brazilian and Portuguese <laughs> people speak Brazilian. No. <laughs>
0: Just like Americans speak American. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, why do we still call it English? I mean, England's a very tiny country. Um, and... Uh, and and also, like if you try and like I, you know, over the past couple of months building up to this episode, I've been trying to find out information about certain surfers and everything, a lot of the Brazilian surf information is all written in Portuguese, so it's tricky to get a copy. And, and you know, you said they had their own media. As you talk about with Adrian, they have their own surf industry. They have their yeah. own quicksilvers and their own yeah. billabongs. <laughs> Literally, have their own quicksilvers <laughs> and billabongs, and and so they had. It. And then also, it's a massive country. It's kind of like when you know when we were backpacking, people say, "Where are all the Americans?" I said, "Well, they're they're busy traveling around America. It's so big and varied." And I remember someone asking me, and you know, they like, "If I could go back to any country to go traveling, I said Brazil because." You could spend years mm-hmm. investigating and exploring all the different places. It's, and, and they had a pro circuit, their own pro circuit there. like it's, it's interesting. Brazil, like um,
0: in doing the research leading up to my interview with Adrian actually, um, you know, I was trying to learn as much as I could about Brazilian history in general, like not just surf history. And you really shouldn't crunch on the ice while we're doing this, by the oh, way. I thought it added to the atmosphere. <laughs> so rude. Um, but one of the things they talk about in Brazilian history is tr- it's such a vast country and so big that it was really difficult to, to control and manage it as a government, you know? And you had, like, all these different varying factions and the South is so different from the North in many ways, similar to the U.S., but even more so uh, because they didn't have a great intercoast, inter, inter country roadway system, even, you know, everything is so vast and everyone lives mostly on the coast, actually. Uh, you know, so there was it's it, it, even like in Brazil, like the surfers up in Rio were different than the ones down, you know, in Florida, you know, down in um, uh, São Paulo. São Paulo. I mean, you know, uh, close,
1: which is pretty close to Rio.
0: Yeah, you know, there were totally different cultures, and actually, there's competing narratives on how surfing started in Brazil. Actually, because of that, and there was, you know, the the industry. It, it's just it's so fascinating when you you all listen to this interview with Adrian because he really spells out. A lot of things i had no clue about brazilian history culture and what went on the internal dealings uh you mentioned one of the things i thought was fascinating was because brazil spent during the 70s was not really part of certain international trade laws um due to their their government and and uh you know system and not being acknowledged or because it was a dictatorship and it was closer to russia than it was to the u.s Um, In relations, they weren't part of certain international trade deals and and trademark deals. And so people wanted to have OP clothing or Quicksilver and, you know, they couldn't get it. So they started their own, you know, (laughs) in Brazil is OP Brazil, which had no affiliation. To OP in the US and still doesn't, actually, I believe. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's really uh I found that to be super interesting. They were able to form their own incubated industry, basically, uh, within Brazil, um, you know, in the media as well. Uh it was really that stuff was fascinating, uh, seeing how, how those things developed. And imagine, like, you're Quicksilver and you're like, what, what is this, Quicksilver in Brazil? This, we didn't design that. <laughs> we don't sponsor that surfer. What do you? Who is this guy?
1: <laughs> that would have been fun. It's, it's free advertising. You didn't have to do all the, the heavy legwork.
0: <laughs> if, if they were smart, it would have been like, hey, let's take some of their designs. They're pretty nice. <laughs>
2: mm,
1: mm. So why, why, why do you think, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we've had top Brazilian surfers for a long time, as long as there's mm-hmm. been a pro-surfing circuit. Yeah. But it's gone from like a, a simmer to an extreme boil. I mean, right now, the <laughs> the, the the gods of surfing right now, the current gods, yeah. are all, we're talking men's, you know, particularly, the current gods of men's pro-surfing are Brazilian. I mean... We have, you know, if you think of like the early 70s with the Hawaiians like Hackman, Kanaya Lopez, Abalera, and Bertelman, like, mm-hmm. and in the in the 80, 70s, you know, Rabbit and Mark Richards, and, you know, how Sean. come right now, but he was an Australian, so, no. but how did it come right now that, you know, Philippe Toledo, uh, Gabby Medina, Italo Ferreira, Adriano de Souza, like, How come we've got these crazy gods now and a talent pool right behind them? There's so many other Brazilians who are Uh, right.
0: Some I credit it to one man, Luis Campos. Are you familiar with him?
1: No, tell us about Luis Campos.
0: A.k.a. Pinga. So Pinga grew up surfing in Rio. Before starting to work in the surf industry in the mid-80s, holding top positions at Quick and Oakley, before branching out to start his own sports management and marketing company called The Box Group, Box Sports. For 30 years, he's been attending regional Brazilian surf comps, scouting for young talent to join his elite team. It's likely you'd never heard that you would never have heard of the names like Jadson Andre, Caio Belly, Adriano De Souza, Idolo Ferreira, were it not for Pinga's careful intervention.
1: His is, he process- the, is he the guy who, like when Italo is young, he basically said, you come down to Sao yeah. or whatever and live with with us now and we're going to train you is that who? exactly that is oh, the guy i did hear about him in the italo documentary
0: so he found talented groms pair them with the sponsor via his extensive network in the industry context then use their salary to put them into private school teach them english how to compete how to manage your, their newfound cash flow it was meticulously designed program and after adriano one of its first graduates became the first Brazilian to win the world title there was little doubt that it worked and so uh, a lot of this can be attributed to to him and the work that he's done building a talent pool over years and years and years and teaching him all these things all these skill sets you know um you know because that there was a thing that talking about with with Adrian Brazil and you mentioned this before Brazil had a internal pro circuit right and to travel outside of brazil is really expensive the brazilian you know uh currency did not go very far outside of brazil so many well, that's a good point yeah. many talented brazilian surfers uh chose to stay and compete on the local pro circuit rather than go on the world tour or the qs because it was actually they made a better living just competing, winning money locally and not having to travel very far or just they could drive instead of have to fly and the money went just as far or, uh, you know, went really far in Brazil as opposed Mm. to going on the QS, spending an insane amount of money on flights and living abroad and, you know, having varying degrees of success. Like, that's a real crapshoot. Whereas if you can clean up on the local circuit and do well, why would you leave, you know, and stay close to home and your family? so there so without louise like compost like i think some of these surfers might not have left might not have gone on to bigger things without that support network
1: and did um that's that's an amazing both points one with the exchange rate being really hard but then also having this one person Organizing or what did so? What did he get out of it all?
0: Oh, he's a manager, so he probably gets a cut of all their earnings. I mean, imagine right now if you're if you get a cut of Idolo Ferreira's earnings, like that guy is he won the gold at the Olympics, the first surfing gold at the Olympics. Uh, I don't know if you follow his Instagram, but (laughs) over the last three years, three to four years since he's won the world title. I mean, he's gone from like this funny, you know, kind of outgoing, fun kind of person to like all of a sudden you see his house and everything looks very legit and he's got the fancy car and he's got these mainstream sponsors and all of this stuff, you know, like you've seen his lifestyle change on social media completely. I mean, he's there, you know, on the cover of like Brazilian GQ and all these other things like he has totally changed, transformed as a celebrity. And if you are the person who helped bring him up, and you're like, right, here's a deal, I get ten percent or fifteen percent of your earnings, dude. That's like he's making good money, <laughs> you know. But also, yeah, but also,
1: were, what Adrian said to you that, like with Gabby Medina, that Rip Girl, who we think of as his main sponsor. That's, yeah. He said secondary. that was like his his secondary sponsor compared to Audi and and, and what else he, he sponsored.
0: Oi Rio, you know, the phone network, like there's so many um yeah, mainstream non-endemic sponsors they are able to bring in uh, which well, is and I'm huge. sure
1: Rip Curl is paying a lot of money so he must be making wow, okay. Yeah,
0: and and you know, he that money, you know, especially Rip Curl like again, like the Brazilian Brazilian currency still right now is not very strong on the world stage. And so it goes even further back home. You hmm. <laughs> know? So I I I would imagine, yeah, like that's part of it. And also I imagine Luis Campos wants to see Brazilian surfing and surf culture thrive, you know, and it's to, to the A betterment of the industry too. The surf industry that he worked in. Mm-hmm. They're they're riding those tailcoats right there you know, if you're a local, you know, if you are a Brazilian surf company and you sponsor the surfer and then they go out into the world stage and succeed, like, God, like, that's only good for you, you know? So, um, I think there's, uh, many reasons why that has done well. Um, it's interesting though. I do want to point out there was, and the name is slipping me right now. I'm very sorry, but you'll be able to hear his name in, in the interview with Adrian, but Adrian talks about a surfer in the '60s who was a really talented surfer, actually in Brazil. But then he went on to be the head of like Coca Cola in Brazil and other. He was like a like multi millionaire, one like huge, and he supported a lot of surfing in was Brazil. This Rico
1: de Souza was
0: it? Yeah, I think it was. Yes, that's it. Right. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah, he was a big deal in the late '60s. Yeah, and I know. He's he's. I know now if you look him up, it is he's very prominent. I mean, it's hard to. There's a lot of stuffs written in Portuguese, but you see his picture a lot, and is it tied to a lot of stuff?
0: And having that uh, has probably helped a lot in terms of Brazilian surf culture, also. I mm-hmm. imagine. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And and one of the other things uh, Adrian points out that I thought was great, especially with gabriel and you know becoming like so popular he talks about timing uh 2014 when gabriel won his first world title uh you had you know brazilian soccer kind of got beat they got beat by the germans in the world cup that year um, they weren't doing well in soccer they weren't doing well in certain other sports um, they needed something, and and Gabi came in at the time, at the right time, basically, where he became like huge because of the timing of where sports was in Brazil, and they were looking for something new, and they've always had these, you know, these huge figures like Senna, and like you said, Pele, Pele, and like other. You know R- Ronaldo and all these incredible athletes, you know, to look up to, and sport pl- sports play such a huge part of the culture. Um, you know, they're always looking for something to aspire to. Uh, so I think that's like really huge,
1: yeah. In in Brazil, I mean, that's I think that's probably what's maybe a little different in their in Brazilian culture than in American culture, anyway, and, and maybe Australian that the. Well, I mean, sport is really big in in all of our countries, I guess. Mm-hmm. But from what I've heard, it's in in Brazil, like everyone buys into it, like the the, the yeah, the, the you know the 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 government really promotes you know the sport or has used the sport to bolster you know national pride, and you just and and there was listening to you know thing about the f- football you know soccer. That when you'd go to a a, a a football game, it was not just the game; the 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 audience was as much a part of the whole spectacle as the game itself. Mm-hmm. And you just get so wrapped up in it. And I remember, you know, even the eighties re- or nineties, reading about the surf contests on the beach at brazil they said if you were competing against a brazilian you were scared for your life <laughs> it was- uh todd
0: holland against victor ribes 1993 <laughs> All alternativa pro yeah oh well sorry little little uh side sidebar here but um Todd Holland was surfing against Victor Ribas in Alternativa Pro, 1993. This is when Todd Holland had the goatee as well, the really big, thick, lustrous Southern uh, (laughs) Colonel goatee. And um, there was a call that was made, an interference interference call made on Victor Ribas caused by Todd Holland, Mm -hmm. and the crowd did not agree with it. And after he, Todd Holland had to run for his life out, off the beach because the crowd was going to was attacking him basically. Oh my God. And he got all <laughs> these death threats. And I think he left Brazil. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think he left Brazil like right after that, basically. And I don't think he ever returned. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing to me, like Brazil, actually Chad Smith wrote a great article for Surfers journal, About Brazil. Did you read it? It was a few Uh, years ago. I think so, but uh, it was republished in in Beach Grit. And um, it's just all about how, you know, how Brazil is kind of the it's what surfing will be in the future. And, Mm -hmm. And it's they Brazil is known for taking art and sport and music and culture and mixing it all together into one just. Overwhelmingly orgasmic uh, <laughs> manifestation, <laughs> you know, like when you when you hear about the football players, um, especially in the past in Brazilian football, they mm. were known for playing in an artful way, like they turned just a game into an actual dance. And you'd yeah. watch you could, even if you weren't a football fan, you could watch it, and you'd be like, "Hey, those guys are doing it a little bit more interesting and fun and cool than the others are." <laughs> um, and there was music you know written about football and and with, with when you're watching the surfers today, like I know you guys were talking about what is the Brazilian contribution to surfing today? Well, if you watch any of the the names that we've mentioned, when they're in a the heat they're they're you know you were saying how like they're known to being really aggressive and competitive. And so immediately I start to think of a Damien Hardman, right? Yeah. Who's, you know, very competitive, very steely, you know, really, Mm -hmm. you know, win at all costs. But they're doing that, but they're also doing it in an extremely exciting way. Like when you watch them surf, I I was watching, you know, the, the... some some of the heats recently, you watch the other guys go across the wave. like yeah yeah yeah, good good good. All of a sudden, Italo takes off, and it's like whoa, look at this! This is we need some music going on in the background. Yeah. Look at that! What did he do? That's crazy! Like they uh, they're mixing art art and sport together, and that you can be super competitive but super exciting. And uh, dude,
0: Italo when he won his first contest, like did a backflip. You know, like, I mean, come on, like he was on the (laughs) stage, he did a backflip. Or you want to talk about interesting in competitive tactics, even. How about Fabio Goivea, circa 91, paddling circles around Martin Potter, who had priority. And Fabio just kept paddling around Martin Potter, like kind of tripping him out and psyching him out like mm-hmm. <laughs> just no one does that i think that's freaking awesome you know it's really makes competitive surfing so fun there's flair to it you know uh that's, true.
1: With the, that's you know <laughs> they're here for us really you yeah. know like competitive surfers are here for the audience we want it to be interesting are you and not
0: entertained
1: want <laughs> yeah we want to be entertained and we want to you know as martin potter said you know i said show me the passion show me how much you want to win because yeah i want to, and that's that's what they do. But they also do it creatively. Like you watch all of their aerials are ridiculously creative and inventive. And yeah. and they go for it. They're, none of them surf conservatively. No. Um, no. And it's and it's uh it it is a thing of beauty. And I mean, you know, it's interesting, like I was thinking how in a way the Brazilians right now are a little bit similar to the Australians of the free ride era. Yeah. That, When you think of like the young, I don't know, if you're watching pro surfing and you watch them and it's exciting, it's bling, it's just like, it's flamboyant. As a teenager right now, I would would be copying them. That's what I would be trying to do. And whereas maybe the older people would be a little bit more grumpy about it, you know, and a bit more uptight about it. Um, (laughs) It's like Tom Kern said, you know, in the 70s, he didn't give a shit about Californians. He wanted to surf like the Australians.
0: Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing. And and when I hear when I even hear them talk, you know, about, about heats or you watch make or break and you watch Italo, that passion of destroying a surfboard, mm. like that guy just is feeling it. He wears it, you know. A lot of the a lot of the Brazilian surfers just wear that stuff, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeve. And, and as a as a fan of competitive surfing, that's what you want to see. I don't want to see you know the post heat interview where they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we were just having fun out there. That was just. It's just I'm just happy to be out there. I'm just happy to be surfing a lineup with no one else out. Like, that's boring to me. I, I actually advocate more for the WWE style of surfing. You know, <laughs> you
1: always do. You always got to get that in there.
0: <laughs> I am always. I just. I want to see. I wish surfers made a spectacle out of it. Sometimes it would be so much more interesting to be like." well, you ready for that heat? And like, I'm going to tear that surfer apart. I'm going to spray him in the face and then do a carving 360 from, that's what's going to happen. Like that would be so much fun and it would bring so much more drama to it. And And what that does is those down moments in between waves, it adds more tension. You know, if you know their friends and they're just talking out there in between waves, that's not fun. But when you watch Gabriel paddle, you know, a surfer, Chloe Andino, up the reef at Chopu or, or Fiji, that is like gold, man. That is like, that makes the dead parts more interesting sometimes.
1: You're totally right. And for years, there was a complaint that the surfers, the, the current surfers, had no personality and you couldn't distinguish one from the next and they were either too professional or just too uninteresting. Whereas yeah. each one of them are different from the other. They, and it's not just because make or break shows us that, I mean, no. we saw it before and, um, and they're real, you know, like they, they talk about their, their issues and their, mm-hmm. their, their ups and their downs and, and we get, and it's, yeah, they, they probably are, you know, they, they can be actual, like, real uh, tarnished heroes in a way, you know, imperfect
0: the, the, heroes. The other thing, and why they are so dominant right now, and I think it, it has to be discussed, is there's hunger. They got the mm-hmm. eye of the tiger, you know? Many of them come from disadvantaged backgrounds. You know, Idolo was the son of a fisherman. Uh, you know, even Gabriel, like, he, you know, his father had a surf shop. But they were, didn't have a whole lot to go on. And, you know, that hunger coming from a, a tougher background, Adriano DeSouza. I mean, God, this guy is a role model. You know, mm-hmm. he came from nothing background and worked hard at his surfing. I mean, he he went like we talk about Adrian and I talk about Adriano and how he knew he needed to improve at pipe. So he went and stayed with Jamie O'Brien, went early, spent time with him, learned how to surf pipe. He would go two weeks before Chopu, two weeks before these other waves to learn and get better at the spots that he knew he had weaknesses on. The guy went from a flimsy, kind of light, flicky style to a full bore rail, like to one of the best bottom turns at Bells of all time, I would say. Like this guy worked hard and it's because of that hunger, you know, the, the coming from nothing. And not having anything given to you and having to fight for every scrap is what I think also has driven the Brazilian storm. Uh, you know, whereas you get a kid who grew up near the surf industry in Southern California and was given money and clothing from a young age, you know, like they're not hungry. They don't have to do much. They're they've got everything they need. So why would they win a world title? Why do they need to even do that? They're all like. You know, I'm so annoyed at a lot of the surfers actually who are upset about the mid year cut. I'm like, dude, if you aren't in it to win the world title, why are you there? You know, (laughs) like if you're not there to win a world title, you just want to make the top 16 or top 10, you shouldn't be on tour. That's my thought.
1: But it's, it's very, it's amazing that, that some people have gotten that far without, uh, thinking that they're going for a world title because if you make it into the top 44 in the world like it it, to me it's like wow like that that took a lot of sacrifice to get there you worked really Mm -hmm. hard but you still don't have that that total killer instinct you know that that comes from really wanting it It, it's yeah it's it's almost unbelievable that more people don't have that but you're right like if you if it's an option if it take, it makes you think too much, you know, Words if you think, you know, look, I've got to do this. It, it makes it so much easier. And I know that's what they used to say about the Australians in the eighties because it used to be that Australians living by the beach in the eighties, there were a lot more, you know, working class surfers. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there weren't as many jobs, there wasn't as much money in Australia as there has been recently. And, they used to say that Australians did better because they were hungry for it whereas in California in America there were so many if you didn't make it as a pro surfer well then you could go back to university and become a lawyer or something like that sell real estate you know sell real estate be a <laughs> Or going surfer. to the surf
0: industry you know
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so that, that that is a big point right there
0: the 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 other thing I do just I have to point out, uh I'll jump in here a sec, you know, now, but they just know how to party better, too. And God, you know, so talking to Adrian about the Fluid magazine used to do like their their kind of surfer pole type of award event. And I don't know if you listened to it, but it is so classic because they their their event was just so rowdy and such a party that like it was just over the top man like so like they know how to win big but they also know how to just totally enjoy it too it seems oh
1: man <laughs> well, again you know that first week that I was in Rio it was not it was not carnival it was not there was nothing special about this one night i think it was like a tuesday night even and we went up to Oh, I can't remember. The, ah, it's slipping my mind now. The the name, the part of town. Anyway, it's just just cool part of town. You know, like going out to the village used to be, or or going to Camden mm-hmm. used to be in London. But anyway, went out at night and it was like, it was like the best street party you've ever been to. You know, like just I can't even. It would take too long to go into all the description, but it was just this wild, raucous, fun street party with. Um, you know, people, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, all different colors. There's a block of ice, people making caipirinhas right on the street. You just talk to everybody. There's people shagging in the street. It was crazy. And this was just an ordinary night. And I say, there's nothing. I've never seen anything like this anywhere in America before. And um, you're right. It's, And that's the thing. If you think about, like, what does, when when people would think about surfing, you know, people who are not surfers think about surfing. They think of a combination of, yeah, but no, but no, but most people don't think that. Most people, if if you ask, what do you think, if I tell them I'm a surfer and they're like, oh, you know, you can see immediately the images that come into their head are beautiful, hot tropical beaches, um, a sport that's kind of mixed with an art and mixed with rock and roll. and something really sexy and adventurous. And actually, if you go to most most of when you go surfing, it's not like that at all. Actually, it's, no. it's usually quite a quiet kind of affair. People are pretty serious, you know, not loose and sexy at all. But if you go, if you go to the beach in Brazil, or if you bump into Brazilians when they're out surfing, it's like it's like what you imagine surfing should be has just come to life and bloomed with with vigor and verve. And so it's almost like, oh yeah, why hasn't Brazil been the the dominant surf culture all along? It makes so much sense.
2: (laughs) And we will be right back. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition
0: We should talk about, I think, Peter Troy's influence, though. I think we have to go a little further back here for a little bit because we've been talking a lot about the Brazilian storm and the competitive side and, and, and certain parts of the culture. But he played a key role in, in Brazilian surfing. You know, um, before Peter Troy had, and for many of our listeners, if you're not familiar with Peter Troy, uh, Jane, can you give a quick Rundown on who he is, because I think you'll do a much better summation than me. <laughs> and you have, and you have the book better that I think I have you. the book you got yeah, me for yeah. my birthday. Yeah. So this is a test for you. <laughs> Did you read the book?
1: <laughs> well, St. Peter Troy was, you know, like a surfer from Australia, from Torquay. You know where Rip Curl is from, where Bell's is from, where is where Quicksilver is from in Victoria, Australia who you know, came to prominence in the you know, late 50s early 60s and what he's always been known uh, for in the surfing world as one of the f- basically one of the first surfers to go backpacking and traveling around the world and going on surf adventures basically i went he went on like a 7 or 8 year long safari yeah. <laughs> around the world to different countries he kind of set the blueprint For the traveling, especially the traveling Australian surfer, you know, who would just kind of almost, I don't want to say like a Forrest Gump, but, you know, would just kind of show up to different places, meet interesting people, have all these interesting adventures, and then leave his mark, you know, like afterwards people, you but and also discovered all these places for the Australian yep. surf world and wrote about it. But <laughs> but he wasn't just um a, a traveling adventurous surfer. He was also a really top level surfer. He's one of the, the best surfers in Australia at the time.
2: Good shaper so he, too.
1: And shaper. And so when he ended up in Australia, not in Australia, in Brazil in the in the early sixties they they'd already been surfing there but it was you know it was it's kind of like before the americans came over to australia it was just you know hey let's all catch some waves take off and ride to the beach all of a sudden you had this high performance surfer come there and they said oh my god is that what surfing could be and then you know and he left his mark
0: and he also showed them like how to shape boards and fiberglass them properly he gave them like techniques Uh, on things that helped change what surfing could be. Uh, so I think that's like a very interesting thing because before Peter Troy, like you said, it was one, it was also a sport of the elite. It was mostly the wealthy who could do it. And they were just riding these wooden boards basically, uh, and just going out as a club thing. It was almost like tennis and surfing were synonymous in many ways. Mm. um, you know so it was you know kind of like how in peru they have the Waikiki beach club which is also like a very elite established club and that was like where very rich people surfed uh so that's what i find really interesting is how it it go, went from being an elite sport and kind of over the years has become something of a of a pathway out of poverty in brazil can i
1: can i ask you that? why why yeah. was um Peter, how was Peter Troy's visit? How did that change the socioeconomic participation? in surfing? I
0: think it became more about performance rather than just going out and club surfing together, kind of riding straight to the beach. It became more about style, performance, which brings into then a competitive element of surfing. Uh, you know, it, it also just changes their perception of what surfing is. Before, think of it almost like, Beach boys, you know, Waikiki beach boys, you know, they just cruised to the beach they had their style, you know, by standing straight and it wasn't a very much competitive thing. And then all of a sudden doing maneuvers, riding waves, you know, the way that Peter rode, you wouldn't ride with other people on that wave. You would ride by doing turns and other things like that. And I imagine that would change the perception of what surfing is and open that door uh, or gateway of what surfing is. And I imagine, outside influences started to also creep in and they started to see what was happening in the greater surfing world around that I guess, time yeah, too. that's a
1: question that yeah. I, I feel I don't know the answer to. Same. How yeah. did, well, I haven't said what the question is. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> how, no, but how but did, how
0: I, did was, I thought, I, I guessed what your question was, sorry. <laughs> oh, what was it? What did you uh, guess it to be? Well, it was going to be how did, how did Peter Troy change the, the nature of surfing in Brazil? No, 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 so, that's would, not my question. Oh, okay.
1: No, my question is, how did surfing go from an elitist, wealthy person sport to a sport that uh, a lot less wealthy people could do? I
0: think co- competition probably has something to do with that. I think uh, as professional surfing particularly starts, uh, you know, and and th- and that didn't really take hold until like the 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 late 80s early 90s really
1: oh, okay so not as you know? a direct result of peter
0: no Troy's, it's not a de- direct result of peter troy but it you know changed the way people surf there and then gradually you start to see competitive surfing form and as as com- professional surfing starts you know it becomes and like oh this is something a pathway out you know That's, Mm -hmm. that's when, when it became more of that. So yeah, it's not so much a direct result of Peter Troy, but he, he changes what surfing is in Brazil and how it's viewed from a, just a club thing where you just go straight to a competitive thing. Um, The other thing is interesting is there's a, you know, there were different thoughts on how surfing came to Brazil. And according to Adrian, it was the guy from California who came and surfed and he was actually down in um sao paulo and he then taught some people how to surf and then that influenced people up in the north but some people in rio claim that they were the first to surf some people claim the first surfer was in sao paulo and there's always a bit of a debate over that which i think is really interesting Uh, and the guy who who uh surfed in brazil like a lot of the the first surfers also you know Learn to make a surfboard from that article in Popular Mechanics on how to make a surfboard. Mm, <laughs> you <know>? That was <laughs> yes, it's really interesting
2: uh,
0: how that article has gotten a lot of mileage.
1: <laughs> yeah, is that article on the EOS? That, that I should don't know be in there. It should
0: oh, speaking of EOS, I do want to point out one. Uh, wow, well, I'll punt it out later in the stump, my bro.
1: but uh uh, are you uh, with this i have got to say to everybody if you really want to hear all the history of uh brazilian surfing listen to the interview with adrian because it goes into great depth but it's also a really easy to listen to interview you know like it's it's fun hearing you guys talk so I think it's something that you just put it on and it, it kind of brightens up your day actually.
0: <laughs> he is just uh so cool. Like I just cannot say how cool a, a, a Jim Cogen is. Like after that interview I'm like I want to be friends with this guy. Like I want to be best buds and I want to like do whatever he whatever project he's working on I want to help out. Like that's that's the type of guy he just is and oh man like what a what a character, and uh, yeah, we definitely give it a listen. So, uh, we'll be posting that probably after this piece, this interview, and it may come out in about a week. Um, so, Jane, it's that time. Do you know what time it is?
1: Is it time to dance? <laughs> it's
0: time for a little capoeira and a little stump. stump my, my row. Row, row. All right, so. I have a bunch of softballs for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get these pretty easily, I think. Oh, God. You're setting me up for a fall. I know, right? (laughs) You do that to me, too. So I'm getting you back. (laughs) All right. Do you want to go first?
1: So even if I get it right, it's not. It's nothing to be proud of. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just diminished your win a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, I've got three. I think. Same. Yeah. Oh, here's here's one for you. Okay. What What does fluir mean? <laughs> <laughs> i found out fluid fluid it, it, it's actually a verb it means to flow and ah. quite often it's used for water to flow so ah. to flow like a stream so Ooh, there we go flow magazine <laughs> yeah
0: full circle here from the beginning of the show all right yeah. <laughs> connecting the loops
1: so let's see okay. when of your softballs. We will go back and forth okay. again. Okay,
0: <laughs> what was the name of the first professional surf contest in Brazil? Who won it and what year?
1: See, is it the Waimea Pro Five? Waimea Five Thousand Pro in Rio. Yep. yep. Okay. And I think the first one was in '76. Mm-hmm. That that was by Pepe Lopez.
0: Yes, it was. There we go.
1: Do you know who won the second one the year later?
0: Oh, jeez. Fuck. I don't know.
1: Uh, A little clue. I think. I had it up. They they had one wave of his in Tales of the Seven Seas when they're doing the uh, hang gliding segment.
0: (laughs) Oh, jeez. I don't know who.
1: Uh, Daniel Friedman. Ah. So Daniel Friedman. At the so he, him and Pepe Lopez were real good friends growing up. They were both uh, knew each other from the equestrian world. Actually, oh, interesting. And, uh, <laughs> so he was ranked twenty first on the I P S in nineteen seventy seven. He was ranked just below Denke Aloha and above Eddie Cow. Wow. And um, he ended up uh, – he was the second highest-ranking Brazilian surfer of the decade, behind Lopez, who was 18th one year. And then um,
0: Daniel Friedman, is he, is he Jewish? Is he of our, of our uh, tribe?
1: Do you know? Well, his dad was a uh, semi-precious gemstone cutter. So, you know, there's there's a history of <laughs> Jews in the – um. Jewelry the, uh, world. Jewelry uh, world. His, his mom was a hotelier, owned a hotel. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that wasn't <laughs> even my stump. That Sorry. was just a follow-up to your uh, <laughs> I know. <to> your question. <laughs> All right, what's your stump? I think
1: it might be your turn then, because I kind of threw a mini stump back at you.
0: Okay. Um, which Brazilian won the first ASP Championship Tour contest? And when, when and what contest?
1: What, was that not it?
0: No, no, ASP, ASP, not IPS.
1: Oh, an ASP contest. Yeah,
0: World Championship Tour contest. Oh, okay. WCT.
1: I mean, uh, I, mean I, I knew Neko Patarats won a, like a Quicksilver Pro in Lackenau, didn't he? But yeah. W- was that it? Or, or no. Did someone win a did, did it? Oh, wait, let me think. Uh, uh, I, I mean, imagine Fabio Govea. Did he win one? First.
0: It's Flavio Patarats. Teco, known by his friends, 1991 Alternativa International event in Rio. And he beat Sonny Garcia in the final. Okay. And here's the fun fact about EOS Matt totally mixes up Flavio and Neko on the EOS. There is, he must have gotten the facts wrong because he claims that Flavio Padarats stars in Beyond the Boundaries. But you and I know it's Neko Padarats who was sponsored by Rip Curl, not Flavio. And yo, man, shame on you, Matt Warshaw. You have mixed up the brothers of Brazilian surfing there. Uh, So just calling that out real quick. I got to write him after that and be like, you need to fix Flavio's. thing happens or Br- compl- brothers do yeah. get mixed up sometimes. that's true right
1: <laughs> who was this uh, this is not a I don't know the answers so mm. what you mentioned and what I mentioned with Daniel freedom and Pepe Lopez those were all contests in Brazil and yeah. it doesn't take away from it at all but I'm curious who was the first Brazilian pro male or female to win a pro you know I guess a world tour contest outside? Of-
0: I think it was Fabio Goyewe at Sunset uh, in 1993. Okay. Potentially, yeah. I think it was 93. Or, or yeah, it was, it was pretty small Sunset, unfortunately. Um, because. But Fabio at Big Sunset is fucking amazing, actually, to be honest. Like, holy crap. He does a better impersonation of Curran than Curran.
1: Is it? Does he do a better impersonation than Suji Casuea does?
0: Yes, he does. I think oh. so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that definitely has to be a future episode of Japanese. The yeah, history of surfing Japan. Definitely. Um, okay, I've got uh, a couple more. A couple more. Okay. Right. Um, which famous American surfboard shaper moved down to Brazil? I think to Sakurama, in um, in the 1970s and planned to live there forever, and sh- um, but ended up having to go home during because of uh, the, the you know the dictatorship made it so hard for immigrants to live there. Oh. Um, and he shaped surfboards. He um, hired a lot of local guys to um, to work for him. Um, God, yes.
0: I don't know this. This is a good one. That's a good
1: stump. Uh, Gary Linden
0: oh yeah that makes sense
1: absolutely why does it make sense
0: oh he's been uh, he's he's you know, real good friends with carlos burleigh and i think he, there's always been like a bit of um synergy there i feel like i've i don't know why like i've always just associated yeah, yeah i would see that
1: yeah well he was uh, i think he was traveling around the world and he ended up crewing aboard a uh a sailboat i think from europe that ended up in brazil and i think when he got there he's like hey this place rocks so he, i think he went home to california shaped made money and moved back there and he bought bought like a little land and um yeah it's a, a Surfers journal has a whole article on it talks about that
0: damn all right um who invented the quad fin
1: Oh, it was just written about in the latest Surfers Journal. Uh, mm-hmm. Adrian wrote an article about it, and I—I I, I don't know his name, but I could tell you. Ricardo
0: Bucon, Brazilian, and oh. Glenn Winton even credits him with having done it first. Yes, so I—I yeah. I found that really interesting. Um, a huge, huge design, uh, you know, influence actually that didn't really pick up steam until recent in recent years to be honest hmm. so i find that to be really cool and one thing we don't really talk enough about i think on the show and even adrian and i didn't talk enough about it, was some amazing brazilian shapers
1: oh my god um, I know. That, you know like xanadu marco,
0: and Zanadu, Zanadu,
1: Mas, uh, how do you yeah. say his name the sharp eye sir yeah
0: um marco vesuvio i think oh i'm so bad sorry i'm butchering it um but it's there is Copiano some phenomenal battle. yeah well i think is he brazilian or is he spanish because i know he shapes it in with their roots you know oh i'm not sure like i Pucas, just assumed you know?
1: that he was brazilian yeah. He was, um... yeah that's true yeah but don't like people well again it's it's i suppose it's back to the whole english-speaking world kind of mm-hmm. sticks to its own you know um Although they don't, no, not they don't, because the t- the first two shapers you mentioned are popular shapers for American and Australian. Yeah. yeah, I
0: mean it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think that you know there is probably a ton of shapers in Brazil that that we that don't get enough uh, attention, probably. You mm-hmm. know, due to the limiting factors, but there is definitely a rich shaping scene there that I think would be fascinating to kind of explore, uh, one day, you know, but, uh,
1: I've got two more for you. All right, go. What was Brazil's first feature length surf film? And it, it came out in 1978, um, has contributing footage from Kurt Mastalka. Um, it was a, Big deal at the time because it was during the the military dictatorship, which really clamped down on any sort of freedom promoting art. But it was a full length film, you know, in the in the in the vein of like you know, tubular tubular swells or Seven Seas. You know, one I of those. I don't know this. I don't
0: films. know this. This is how do I not know this? Oh, this all right, is...
1: and you can if you look at it, it's got you know all like the hot Brazilian surfers of the time, you know, the ones we've mentioned uh, plus a few others. It's called that Nas Ondas do Surf. Or actually, probably pronounced Nas Ondas do Surf. And <laughs> if you go to the EOS, there's a whole blog about it. You can watch the film in its entirety. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's worth checking out.
0: Amazing. Um, and,
1: I've, and I've got one more for you. All
0: right, go for it.
1: Which current famous Brazilian surfer mm-hmm. is was uh, has... One you know is, is notorious for uh, um, dating or being married to even some really famous Brazilian uh, models, but as well as uh, he's really famous within Brazil, famous for surfing really big Pascuales, you know in um Pasquales in in Mexico, you know kind mm-hmm. of the kind of the the break that's a lot like uh, Puerto Escondido, but surfing giant barrels completely in the nude. Oh. He also is famous for surfing um you know Nazaré. He was a candidate for a big wave XXL award.
0: Lucas Chumbo? Nope. Lucas no. Lucas Chanka? No.
1: No. Pedro yeah. Scooby.
0: Oh, yeah. Damn it. He's amazing. He's so good. Oh. Yeah. He is dude, him Lucas as well, and Zhao. Zhao Chianka. you know, I don't know if you watched any of his heats on the tour earlier mm. this year. Haw. Oh, well, but all three of those guys are triple are like crazy threats in all sorts of conditions. they They can surf anything. <sighs> yeah, that. yeah, man. Brazil's got it going on. Let's just say, like, Brazilian surfing is definitely feeling its mojo right now, and it, it's fun to watch. I'm really digging it, and I think there should be more on it. Uh, there needs to be more coverage and more integration of, of their surf culture into the mainstream surf culture, I think. There you go. So, uh, well... That, that turned was out a, a lot longer
1: than we thought it would. Yeah,
0: be. yeah, that's that was a great episode. I'm really glad we we got to do this. I learned so much uh, doing this, and I learned a lot from uh, Adrian as well. Uh, so for our listeners, you can, uh, you know, you'll be able to hear that interview on shortly after this, and uh, it's a it's a doozy as well. And um, you know, uh, otherwise, uh, for all of you, uh, we. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget, you can find Hardcore Surf History on Instagram uh, at hardcore underscore surf underscore history. And uh, you are also part of the Surf Splendor Network. So you can find us on uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And we are all over the place. But yeah, give us a follow and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, anything you uh, want to close out with here, Jane? All right. And we'll catch you all down the line. Thanks.
2: and don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com/surf that's linkedin.com/surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply